Hello and welcome to the Arate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs and today's guest is Margaret Hasseltine, former CEO of Mars Food and now accomplished non-executive director. Well, it's great to have you along for another Arate podcast. And uh, today's an interesting conversation because Margaret, or Margie as she prefers to be called, is somebody that I'd never actually met before prior to doing this interview, which was the first uh, case in terms of my guests so far on the Arate podcast. And so to be honest, I probably had a little bit of uh, anxiety as to uh, how it would go, given that this was a person that had never uh, met me or spoken to me. But as it turned out, I think the conversation's excellent. And I think you'll really enjoy what she has to say. But before we get into that, let me tell you a little bit about Arate and the motivation for this podcast for people who haven't listened before. Arate is a Greek word that means the fulfillment of one's full potential. And the idea behind this podcast was to have guests on who have achieved or are achieving their full potential in terms of their own professional career, so that those people who are listening in who have aspirations to achieve similar results in terms of their own career can listen to those who have walked the path before them and hopefully learn some great tips and tricks that they can apply themselves in order to accelerate their career path. And uh, the guests so far have really uh, had some tremendous wisdom and it's been great to share that with the audience. And so far, the results in terms of the number of downloads is extremely encouraging, as is the feedback that I'm getting from listeners. So uh, I'm uh, really pleased that it started so well and I uh, am excited about uh, the podcast going into 2016. And who knows where it could go after that? We'll have to wait and see. I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive. We're an executive recruitment or headhunting business, and we recruit CEOs, senior executives, and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. If you're interested in learning more about our services, certainly have a look at our website, and I'd welcome any inquiry if we can be of assistance to you in terms of your executive recruitment needs. I'd also really encourage listeners to join our LinkedIn community, the CEO Incubator, which at the time of this recording has now just cracked 1,500 members, which is great. Uh, The idea of that community is to allow for peer-to-peer networking across industry, and it's also the portal that we use for promoting all of our executive and non-executive vacancies. So if you join that community, which is absolutely free, uh, you will get priority awareness of these opportunities before they go to the open market. But anyway, let's get on now with our conversation with Margie. I'll introduce you to her now. Margie Hasseltine commenced her career by studying a Bachelor of Arts and then a teaching diploma in New Zealand, which is where she originates from. Soon after this, however, she became very involved in supply chain management, a career that she thoroughly enjoyed, which saw her come to Australia and join Mars Incorporated, or Mars Food Australia, an organisation she worked for for many years, her final role within that business being CEO of Mars Foods between 2004 and 2007. 
Since that time, she's built a very good portfolio of non-executive roles, including being on the board of Fantastic Holdings Limited, an ASX Top 300 company. Margie is married, her husband is a professional artist, and they have three boys, and they live on the central coast of New South Wales. When she's not working, she's a very keen bushwalker and tennis player, and as she says herself, a great soccer mum. I'm looking forward to this discussion with Margie. Sit back and enjoy, and let's listen to the great ideas and examples of what she's achieved so that you can utilize these in terms of your own career success. So Margie, thanks very much for joining me on the Arate podcast. It's excellent to have you, and I know you've just flown in to Brisbane today. No doubt you've got a pretty full schedule. Um, Perhaps uh, just to start the conversation, you can tell the audience a little bit about your current responsibilities and, uh, you know, perhaps also why you came to Brisbane, because that's quite an interesting uh, story in itself. Okay, well, thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, so my current situation is I'm a professional non-executive director. Uh, It's taken me quite some time to work into being a professional non-executive director. I I sit on uh, four or five boards. And uh, I also, which is my story as to why I'm here today, I am a Kiwi, so you can probably hear that, and quite passionate about New Zealand, especially when it comes to uh, winning the World Cup. Yes. (laughs) However, uh, today I'm here for what's called a Beachheads function, and Beachheads is run by the New Zealand Trade and Enterprise, something equivalent to kind of the Trade in Australia, Mm -hmm. and they have 34 Beachheads around the world, and their sole purpose is to grow... New Zealand businesses or exports um, external to New Zealand. So in Australia, uh, Beachheads is quite new. It's only been going for about two years. And I'm the specialist food and beverage advisor. Mm. So I've probably spoken to maybe 40 or 50 SME um, New Zealand companies, which is really fun. I sort of do a bit of an hour of an advisory chat, so I get to know what products they're trying to um, launch into Australia. I talk to them about their aspirations. Do they want volume? Do they want value? Mm -hmm. Uh, So we understand the business. And then I help them with uh, getting a business plan together. So, for example, um, if I was Abe's Bagels that are already um, on the shelf, they've got a branded product, so how to leverage their brand, um, how to grow their products, how to um, extend their footprint. Mm -hmm. It could be a company that actually just wants to come in and they want to do private label, so it's a volume thing. Mm -hmm. It could be a company where actually they should stay away from supermarkets at all costs. Right. So today is an advisory uh, meeting, so we'll have all the beachhead advisors across all sectors. And then we have a networking function this this evening. Oh, great. Yeah. It's an interesting term, beachhead. It's quite a military term. It is. It, it is. Yeah, but think... it, it's interesting because some people get it immediately. Right. Which is we're going to put a beachhead somewhere, sure. land, yeah. and, and, and go from there. Other people go, why beachheads? So, right. Yeah. And uh, is it uh, primarily your audience, New Zealand companies who are already in Australia, or you're talking to companies in New Zealand that want to come to Australia? Both. Okay. In fact, Probably the most uh, aspiring companies from New Zealand who want to come to Australia. Right. And it's interesting because you usually will be talking to them about maybe they've tried to go into China, Japan, Asian markets, ignored Australia. Right. And then thought maybe we should try Australia. Right. 
I find that fascinating because Australia is actually probably one of the more easy sure. countries for them to, if you like, do a soft landing yeah. um, or fail and learn the mistakes. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it's a really I, – I just love it. It's diverse from moa beer to custard slice in Costco to um, stacking of, you know, pallets or crates for milk to – you never know quite what it is um, – Herbal tea, right? Um, bell tea, you name it. Sure. I suppose uh, they're seduced by the massive populations in Asia and thinking that perhaps Australia is, in comparison, a very small population. Would that be one of the motivations for them to look to Asia first, do you think? I think so. And also I think they... Is, oh, there, I think there's more financial grants to go into Asia is than it? there are Australia because Australia right. has um, CER, which is the, the Closer Economic Relations, which is... Right. Supposed to have made it easier. Okay, sure. Um, Okay. Anyway, that's what brings me to Brisbane, as as well as having a mother who lives on Bribey Island. Right. Well, uh, in here in Brisbane, we regard Bribey Island as overseas. So uh, (laughs) people say, I'm going overseas, so you're going to Bribey Island. Oh, okay. So, uh, oh, it's great to have you here, and we've turned on some good weather for you. You have. Uh, Thank you. Excellent. So, the purpose of this podcast is really to have a chat to you about your career, uh, the idea being that the audience uh, being predominantly aspiring uh, CEOs and, and non-executive directors can hear those who have walked the path before them and hopefully learn some lessons to help them to uh, accelerate their own career to its fullest potential. Uh, I like to start the conversation by going right back to the beginning. So perhaps mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about you know where you were born and your family and, and sort of that early part of your life. Okay. I was born in uh, Stratford, New Zealand, which is... Uh, actually, I was born in Pukinahu, out the back of Stratford, right. New Zealand, which is... Uh, on the North Island, just uh, near, near Mount Egmont, and I was born fifth child to dairy farmers. Okay. And uh, we moved when I was 13 to the Bay of Islands. Right. Uh, my dad was very progressive. We had one of the first rotary uh, cow milking um, sheds in the North Island and, and in some respects the North um, the, you know, of New Zealand. Right. Uh, and that probably was pretty a big milestone for me because having milked cows all my life, I was very determined that I was never going to milk another cow as long as I lived. Sure. And uh, I was the only child I used to, um, during haymaking season, I used to have to milk the cows. And we used to have uh, university students from... Massey and Otago because they needed to do practical studies. Okay, yeah. So that was a cheap way for farmers to get labour. Right. And I used to I used to milk the cows with them, and uh, that was kind of as inspirational and aspirational for me right. because I realised that all I needed to do was to go to university, and I was not going to marry the farmer down the road, and I was not <laughs> <laughs> not going to milk cows anymore. Right. So that was a bit of a turning point. Sure. And, and so you're the youngest of five. Yes, I am. Right. Yeah. Uh, how, how many boys and girls? Two boys, three girls. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. I actually come from a dairy background myself. Oh, there you uh, go. My mum was the eighth child of a dairy farmer in Ireland and uh, exactly like you she thought I don't want to marry a farmer so she became a nurse and married an academic and uh, escaped the farm Uh, so you had a similar notion in terms of uh, wanting to use education as uh, the leverage point to take you more in the the, uh, direction you wanted to go with your own career. Yes absolutely so 
I was really determined to go to university. Mm. Uh, I, to be to be fair, I probably didn't know what the heck I was going to do at university coming off a farm and I did something, um, probably another milestone, of choosing subjects where the classes were smaller so I didn't get lost. Okay. So I ended up doing uh, Spanish and French right. and some kind of odd things um, as well as um, English and education and then... When I came through, as you would, you would become a secondary school, a, a, a school teacher. So I, I then trained as a secondary school teacher. But oddly enough, or perhaps plainly enough, when you do subjects like Spanish and um, odd subjects at university, it's not a great background for being a school teacher. So when I came through, there were no jobs. If I had maths or science, I right. would have been able to get okay, a job. Sure. But yeah. I wasn't able to. Mm-hmm. So... That was a bit of a defining moment for me because um, I read, I'd gone off to university, which kind of defied the odds. So Dad wasn't actually too happy about. I'd got a scholarship and helped me through, but he wasn't right. actually about to. Prepare, he wasn't prepared to help me in any way, shape, or form. Right. So I was on my own, and I, from that, got a job at the New Zealand Dairy Board okay. doing Spanish documentation on their um, exports to right. um, Mexico, South America, Spain, etc. And that was a turning point for me into the world of business. Mm. And I went from there. That was pretty boring. And I went from <laughs> there... <laughs> I went from there to a, um export trading house where right. I bought um, all of the everything they needed so if, if you were in Rarotonga or Papua New Guinea or Tahiti yep. I would buy containers of eggs or tires or foodstuffs or whatever there was we would buy it and then ship it to them right so I received a very good background in uh, procurement shipping export training mm-hmm. and realized that's what I loved mm. And what was it about that particularly that you um, enjoyed so much? I love the dynamics of it. Okay. I love the dynamics. I love the variety and I love a good deal. Okay. So getting variety. a good deal, saving a dollar here, saving a dollar there was was uh, was fabulous. And, mm. and then getting the, the feedback. I mean, when you get orders right and do well for people, mm. you, you get the feedback. Sure. So, so that was kind of my first foray into um, business and sort of the trading procurement supply chain. Mm-hmm. And I went on from there to another company, which was called Real Foods in New Zealand, which was uh, the first supplier of bulk bins into supermarkets, which was things like muesli nuts. We have them now. We don't even think anything about it. You go in with your scoop and you buy your muesli, your nuts, etc. But that was pretty revolutionary in New Zealand into Woolworths. Mm -hmm. And it was at that time I um, headed overseas for a couple of years as every... Kiwi and Aussie does with your $4,000 in your pocket. To the UK? Yeah, to the UK via India and China and various places. And realised when I was away that I actually did want to try teaching. I thought, this is something that I want to have a go at. So when I got back a couple of years years later, I actually went teaching for a year and a half and realised that it was not what I wanted to do at all. And I had to take a pay drop of about $15,000 dollars to do it and right. I thought this is ludicrous good holidays good, good holidays yeah. absolutely yeah I think uh, teaching is one of those careers that there's a sort of a, a romantic notion of what it is but I think the reality is often very different isn't it yes and I was became a little bit disillusioned 
because I went to two schools. The first school I went to was South Auckland and it was mainly English-speaking children and I absolutely loved it. Like, they were needy and if you helped them and grow and develop them, it was just fabulous Mm -hmm. because they... Um, they just responded to to the I guess the input, the love, the the learning. Mm-hmm. If they could learn words that they didn't know. Then I went to the uh, North Shore of um, uh, Auckland, and it was extreme where money was everything, and mm. the kids just didn't. They bunked half the time. They didn't turn up. They, you know, right. so I just and when I'd bring parents to say your kids aren't at school, that there was just like a a no care attitude right and so i i I don't know i just thought no i'm 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 bailing from this i I care too much so i don't you know probably an odd reason so i left that and went um into i must have gone into real foods then and then um at that time i when i was traveling overseas i'd met a um, very good friend and they had moved from the UK to Australia and my husband is an artist and uh, he worked on films and uh, um, TV ads and stuff in New Zealand. It was okay. the, the times are 22% interest rates. Yeah, I remember. So we, <laughs> we took off and went to Sydney and uh, never looked back really. Right. Um, I got my job that I was uh, with Mars or Master Foods of Australia and I joined that company and was there for 20 years. Mm worked my way to being CEO of mm. the organisation. Mm. So I did try and leave a few times. Right. Okay, great. <laughs> but never, never quite made it. Well, I, uh, obviously that's uh, a fantastic career to take you to being the CEO of an organisation, which I think, uh, you know, turning over in excess of, what, $300 million. Is that right? Yes. When I left, it was around about 380-odd million. Right. Okay. And so um, I'm interested in just uh, some of the key milestones or... Um, or uh, points over that period that were really important to you that you think uh, enabled you to achieve the success that you did? Okay. First, I'd say is uh, determination, mm-hmm. just being determined to, to stick at what you do. Mm-hmm. The second one was being pretty clear of what I loved. Uh, I maintained my career through supply chain, procurement, the things I talked about before, diversity, um, having lots of adventures, uh, buying, selling. So pretty much for 12 to 15 years of my time at Mars, and that was across pet, snack and food as well as food, Mm -hmm. I was involved in um, buying whatever it was, whether it be a service of some rice, fish, uh, so we were buying and moving it to the factory door. The mm-hmm. factory would convert it, and then we would pick it up at the other end and take it to the customer or consumer, wherever they were. And mm-hmm. I just loved that. And I say that that's a bit of a milestone because during that time as a woman in business, I was strongly encouraged to go into the HR function right. on a number of times. Is that right? And I did not want to go into HR because I believed that I was going to be pigeonholed in HR, mm-hmm. in a field that, sure, it was interesting, but mm-hmm. that's not where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe that if I had gone into HR, I would never have made it to be the CEO. Mm. I think that that's a really interesting point. So do you think that you were encouraged uh, because in a probably a fairly male-dominated space, they wanted to uh, sideline you? Do you think that there was a a motivation um, to do that intentionally to take you out of the running for the more senior C-suite type opportunities or was it because 
there was a genuine feeling that your personality and style would really suit that uh, career path? I'd like to believe the latter. Okay. Uh, and I think in the main that was the case because right. I'm definitely a people person and love developing people, mm. leadership, mentoring, etc. However, I think there was also an element because when I when I got to be CEO in Mars, in the hundred CEOs around the world, there was only three females. Right. And I'd been told quite clearly that I wouldn't get there unless I had a sales and marketing right. background. Okay, sure. And the only reason I got there, which is probably another you know, interesting milestone, was when I took a two-year change management program working alongside Bain mm-hmm. to remove um, a significant amount of costs out of all Mars businesses. Mm-hmm. So it was a change management leadership program, that, mm-hmm. which I guess tested my mettle in terms of being able to live through tough and challenging decisions, both, right. both people and financial. Okay. So uh, I'm interested in understanding in terms of your strategic orientation to managing your own career. How, at what point did you come to a self-realisation that uh, rather than wanting to remain as a supply chain professional, you had aspirations to move into uh, you know, a role that would potentially take you to CEO. Was that an, a decision you made early in your career or did it kind of just happen by circumstance rather than design? No, it happened by circumstance rather than design. Right, okay. And in fact, I say now my mentoring or guidance to people is actually you need to get some design into your career. Right. You need to understand where you want to be, not just in your executive career, but when you get to the end of your career, do you want to be on boards? Do you want to retire? You you have to have that end in view and work Mm -hmm. backwards. Mm -hmm. Even though you didn't? Even though I didn't. And there's some clear, it's not been easy since I left Mars in particular, far from it. And I think that people who have those aspirations, need to make sure... It always doesn't, doesn't always go to plan mm. and things happen along mm. the way and that's, that's, a, that's part of the journey. Mm. However, you have to have some degree of planning, otherwise someone will manage your career, perhaps in a direction that you didn't want yeah. to go. Yeah. And so I guess me not wanting to go into HR was one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one that I did, which was probably... Uh, more by my circumstance, which was my husband was the house husband. So right. we have three, um, we had three children, and he's an artist. And you know, his view was a lot of women are prepared to pick up and leave, and and can do coffee mornings and be the expat wife and make it really easy. Mm. His position was, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. And actually, I want to stay put. So that meant that I had to make my career if you like based out of australia um unless it was a you know a significant move that was going to work for us right so sorry so just to make sure i understand it correctly he was saying that in a more traditional the male breadwinner the supportive wife the wife was happy to relocate to suit the career of her husband but in your situation he was his preference was that he didn't want to relocate so that Correct. Means, right. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I imagine that uh, the dynamic of um, having uh, your husband taking the primary role in uh, looking after the children in the household, that's probably not unusual, um, uh, that men would perhaps be a little bit more rigid uh, than, than their female counterparts. Would you say that that's true from talking to other people in your situation? Yes, yeah, yeah. And And you made a point before that you said that a lot of the women are happy to. I wonder whether they are often because they often find themselves in strange countries where they have no support network. Yeah, that's right. uh, I've done a fair bit of business in China and uh, seeing Australian men go to China and taking their families with them, if the wife doesn't really mesh herself in the culture and get involved in things there, it puts a lot of pressure on the husband to relocate back to Brisbane and I, or relocate back to Australia. And obviously it's exactly the same the other way around. Yeah, and look, I saw in Mars a lot of broken marriages. Mm. And so look, that, I don't want to dwell on that, but that was, you know, for me, was one of the career um, choices that I had to make, which was... I've got to be, um, I guess, flexible, nimble, diverse mm. within within Australia. So I did yeah. a lot of travel, mm-hmm. um, but that was the that was the decision. Mm. Okay, yeah. some interesting questions around that. So one of the questions I've got is: you did your education early. It mm-hmm. was a Bachelor of Arts, and then you know your teaching qualifications. At any point, did you think? I need to go back and get formal business qualifications because of the career that I found myself in? I regularly would ponder and actually wish that I had done a different degree. So if I had my time again, I Mm -hmm. would have clearly gone back and done a business degree. I've contemplated many times doing an MBA. Mm -hmm. However, I didn't have the capacity to be able to do that. And by that I mean that... I was working, you know, I was travelling over three months a sure, year, 180 yeah. days away, three mm-hmm. young kids, um, a big job, mm. and I every ounce of my energy was already utilised by surviving a lot mm-hmm. of the time sure. and doing my job. And since uh, once I left Mars, I actually did start to go back to uni. I started some papers okay. um, actually in uh, sustainability, right. and I realized I, I've always been the breadwinner when we made that decision and I realized I actually didn't have the luxury to retrain mm-hmm. and that I also found that because I uh, continued to educate myself along the way for example Mars was very good on lots of courses we did um, general managers um, courses at Harvard mm-hmm. and business okay. and Boston consulting and and I've always been quite curious, so I've also done career development modules. I'm trained in various things, and, mm-hmm. and even boards. I've done all of the board qualifications, including mastering the board, and mm-hmm. I take myself off regularly. I'm off on a governance thing on a remuneration next week. So okay. I kind of realised that my experience was 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 possibly you know better than my piece of paper and MBA, mm. and uh, the luxury of being able to do that is probably not real of going back and doing an MBA or something mm-hmm. until I don't have the comp the, the challenges of, you know, mum sure. and full time work. Yeah. yeah. And at the end of the day, you got to the being a CEO of a very significant yes. organisation. So in hindsight, do you think that uh, not having that business qualification was in fact a real disadvantage or not at that, all. No. Not at all. My the advantage or the where I've 
um, I guess you know life is a long uh, a lifelong journey of learning and I've embraced um, lots of reading lots of books lots of leadership lots mm-hmm. of development um, wherever I can I've always taken myself off to learn something more and mm-hmm. think think about it mm-hmm. um, and I've there's, there's lots of books along the way that have really helped me to do that. You asked me about a milestone, key milestone before. One of the most significant milestones in my life was going to, and my working career, was going to the Centre for Creative Leadership in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And that was a Mars program. And the week I went was the, um, the, uh, the, the World Trade Centre um, incident. So right. I was in Colorado at that time. Mm. And... That was huge because America went into meltdown. Mm. There was no... we. I had time to ring home and say, there'll be no phones, I'm right. safe. Yep. Um, the In Colorado, the planes were coming out of the hills mm. and wow. you name it. But we had there with us, the program continued, but we had some of the best or better, I guess, psychologists and leadership people in the world. And mm. we had a f- um, fabulous time. But what I learned then was to be myself mm-hmm. I learned that I had been in my leadership style almost living under a mask okay. a mask of um, being what people I thought people wanted me to be or mm-hmm. a mask of being uh, a female trying to survive in a man's mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. and my message from that time was life short and may the real Margie yeah um, and I was probably Margaret Right. Till then. Okay. Well, the real Margie stepped forward. Right. And that was instrumental in me taking a decision to um, not worry so much about what others thought of me and actually to lead from my heart and right. become a leader. And was that pre-becoming the CEO? Or? Yes, it was. Right. And do you think uh, there was a particular... Uh, you know, aha moment when you were there that created that new thinking for you or was it more the context of watching what was happening in terms of the fear and the um, anxiety after the uh, the World Trade Centre incident? Um, Two bits to that. One was the... Um one was the fear and anxiety, like I was actually giving blood downstairs, right. you know, as they do a fitness element to it when the first plane went in. Wow. So that was like, what's happening here? Sure. And that was the meltdown. The other most significant thing was my Myers-Briggs profile. Okay. So I had a Myers-Briggs profile that um, the instructor said to me, that's not your real profile. That's interesting. So what was it? And what it was it? Um, a um, ESTJ. Right. And um, I'm an E um, S F J, but the, even there's a couple of others. You know, when you can get to the yeah, midpoint, yeah. Yeah. where I would would wobble along, but right. the F was the, the main one. Right. And he was really clear, and I, I so I had quite a lot of coaching about mm. this, and and they were quite clear. They said to me, "You'll make yourself sick. Like you'll mm. make yourself really sick if you are continuing to force your profile versus what who you are." Mm. So that was that wow. was huge. Yeah, that's fascinating. I um, have always been an ENTJ, and I know a fellow who's a very, very senior executive coach. And I was talking to about one, him about it one day, and he said, that's not you, Richard. You're not an ENTJ. It, that's a, an acquired persona. So that's interesting that you say that. Um, mm. uh, I probably need to look into that a bit more. Yeah, well, 
they came, it's interesting, it was like five years later, it was the same people and they came out to Australia and we redid okay. our profiles and, um, yeah, I was closer to an E-N-F, definitely an F, yeah. J. Right, okay. So uh, another thing that you mentioned uh, a little while ago was when I'm mentoring people, um, I'm encouraging them to plan their careers, etc. Did you have mentors in your own life uh, that were helping you uh, through that period of transition from supply chain professional to eventual CEO? Not in the early stages, and that was quite tough. I, I definitely looked for people, mm -hmm. uh, but what I did have when I made the final change once the decision had been taken that I was uh, going to be appointed to the CEO I was given some um, executive senior leadership coaching. Okay. And one on one style coaching. Yeah, one on one. Right. That was fabulous. Yeah. That okay. was absolutely essential and fabulous. Okay. okay. So you were at Mars for a long time. Your last, uh, did you say six years? Um, Four uh, to five years was CEO, well, CEO. Yeah, of Master Foods, right. the food business. So uh, how did the uh, CEO opportunity come into? Um, play for you? I was asked if I, well, I had to, as I said to you before, I did a um, change management program for a couple of years. Yeah. And uh, I had indicated that I would like the opportunity, if possible, right. to become um, CEO. And in Mars, you really had to know the family. Okay. So while there was senior management, you, you really, that you had to be trusted by um, John and Forrest and Jackie. I mean, it was still a little bit of the old sure. guard that generation's now moved on. Yeah. Uh, and it was also advised that I should be had done should have done sales and marketing. That's mm -hmm. what they were really looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, but the CEO before me was uh, moving on to another market to Thailand okay. or somewhere like that. And within was, the organisation. Yep. yep. And there was an opportunity, and we'd come through uh, significant. Uh, I guess we'd come through significant restructuring. The interesting thing was. I had designed the change management program and we had to pull, you know, you know, in excess of 20 million out of the food business and we had to redesign and uh, we were in the process of that and that's when they kind of said, okay, well, if you've designed this now, how about you go and right. execute it, do it. Okay. And uh, I said, yeah, okay. I mean, it was one thing to sit on the outside saying to other people, sure. oh, you have to do all of this. <laughs> so they said, no, you, you go and do it. And, and, and that's what I did. Were you competing with uh, other candidates for the role? No, not at that time. Right. No, so in Mars, I mean, they will do a panel if they're not certain, but they obviously decided that right. I'd um, earn my stripes over the years uh -huh. and that they would give me a go. And had there been female CEOs in the organisation prior to you? Not in Australia. Right, okay. Not at all. So that would have had its own yes. interesting uh, mm. elements, I'm yes. sure. Yes, yes. And so when you stepped into that role, what was the, the mandate? Uh, okay, Margie, we, we'd love you to become the CEO. This is what we want you to achieve. It was really clear because we, were, we had to... Uh, we had to pull uh, costs out. We had to, and we had to get growth going. It was just before the, um, um, the you know, the financial crash, and food was slowing, and mm -hmm. the power of the, you know, probably Woolworths and Coles were at their most arrogant, mm -hmm. and private labour mm -hmm. was coming in. So, on all fronts, our business was slowing from mm -hmm. a retail point of view, and secondly, from a margin point of view, because they were. Um, ripping any the trade were ripping anything they could out and they right. were 
uh, pulling major suppliers out and bringing in private labels. So there was that side of it. So we had to bring the costs back, um, reduce the costs and grow the business um, with less resource. Mm-hmm. Normal business. Right. <laughs> and uh, one of my other challenges, which I knew, was to diversify the business. Okay. We were too reliant on uh, the retail trade. Mm-hmm. And I'm quite proud at the end of the time, uh, my shift, we launched Uncle Ben's Shelf Stable Rice. Mm-hmm. We leveraged the tomato squeezy bottle into number one. And uh, we... Uh, the finishing sources, which had, I think had just been launched before my time, but we managed to bring the um, finishing sources, which is the area which you clip off the corner and heat in oh, the yeah. microwave. Yeah. We kind of brought that that okay. program home. And we also grew food service significantly. So in food service, the, the thing most people know Master Foods for is the um, squeeze-on tomato sauce. Right. So oh, we, yeah. we still had competition and right. we clearly managed to bring that sort of um, leverage the position to actually sort of knock right. out competition and and grow our footprint. So, yeah. Right. And so uh, when you look back on those four to five years as CEO, if there was one key achievement that you'd hang your hat on and that you'd say, this is an example of, you know, why I, I feel I did a great job, what would that be, do you think? I'm going to take two. One is launching Uncle Ben's Rice mm-hmm. because... There'd been question marks before by CEOs and by whether it would actually go here because we had to. Im- it was an imported model, right. so the margins and the freight were were questionable. So we had to make a business model work. And why was that so important to you? To I guess well, clearly to bring a new brand to Australian supermarket right. shelves yep. uh, shows in some respects courage and determination mm-hmm. to back your own okay. decision. So it's about backing yourself. Sure. Yeah. Uh, or backing our team and the decision we took. Uh, the second one would be uh, my pride in my team okay. around me and that they all went on, um, as, as we all did, to greater and bigger things. Sure. And one of them stepped up to be CEO when I left. Um, others went on to be R&D directors, you know, Pepsi. I look around now and I mm-hmm. still know some of those names and, and I take some credit, not all, but I believe a leader is is only one person and mm-hmm. your role as a leader is to do yourself out of a job and develop people around you to be able to take over your job. And mm. that was pretty significant for me. Mm. I felt I did that. And, and what were some of the key strategies you used uh, to enable that? It's really about making people back themselves and not look to you for answers. Most people have the know what they need, want to do. So it's empowering them and their teams mm-hmm. rather than taking that empowerment away from them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, you had some great success in that regard. Yes. Right, that's mm-hmm. interesting. And so what was it that uh, led to you exiting the CEO role? Oh, lots of things. Um, I've been there 20 years, which right. I think 20 years in anyone's book in any company is a long sure. time. Yeah. I was still travelling a lot. And my boys, I've got three tip boys, um, were getting older. And what I realized was that when they're 14, 15, and those teenage years, they actually need you around more than Mm. when they're babies. As Mm -hmm. long as they're fed and loved and warm, it's fine. But a teenage, it was teenagers, I realized it was that getting in the car when you're Mm. picking them up after a soccer game or the being there to get off to this parent meeting or, and I, and also my elder son sort of said to me you haven't been here while I'm growing up right and it was like 
enough's enough yeah. and it's time I put something into my own mm. family. Mm. I also, given that Mars is a private company, I realised a mistake that I, well, I realised it too late, that I hadn't networked. I'd spent my whole time mm. in the business mm -hmm. working very hard mm -hmm. and uh, when I put my head up, I realised that I actually had, I was based on the Central Coast in a private organisation, had worked very hard, mm. didn't actually know many people in the community mm. because I'd never been there for the kids and their friends and their parents, mm. and I knew very little people in the business. Mm. That's really a common situation. Uh, when I'm meeting with uh, senior C-suite executives who um, are either keen to leave their role out of choice or from a redundancy or whatever, they've been so busy head down doing their job that uh, the networking uh, relationship has been a very you know, uh, distant uh, or lower re um, uh, responsibility or um, they just haven't paid any attention to it. And then they get to a situation, they go, wow, what's next? Uh, I don't know what I need to do. I don't know who I need to meet, etc." Um, so how did you, uh, so you came to that realisation, but the motivation was more so it's time to be more available to my family. Yes. Yeah. And so did that motivate you then to say, okay, I'm not going to step into another executive career. Instead, I'm going to pursue a, a portfolio career. Yes. Right. I struggled with it though. For two years, probably after I left, I was pretty lost. Right. Even though my head would tell me what was mm. the right thing to do, mm. having stepped out of an organisation that you've been part of their tribe mm -hmm. and, you know, had been the chief at the top of your tent, sure. uh, to actually step away from your tent and the tribe right. is was pretty massive and I completely underestimated what that was going to be like. Right. And... You know, you can't just sort of turn up at a school gate and go, oh, hi, I'm prepared to be a mum now. And yeah. You haven't been around for... <laughs> how do I get into touch shop? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, okay. And so how did that, um, you know, you said you struggled for two years. H how did that manifest? It manifested in me doing lots of little things that uh, were probably um, kind of a bit of dark alleys, really. Uh, and I did actually at one point consider, so I actually went for a couple of interviews, there was some pretty senior C-suite roles, mm -hmm. and it was only, and one I got to the almost to the wire on, right. and it was only as I was coming away, I thought, this is wrong, this right. is wrong, I don't want to embark being loyal to another one other company yeah and i also had been doing a fair bit of consulting because i was a okay. breadwinner so i'd got a few people who you know okay. skills so i was doing a bit of consulting realized i didn't like consulting yeah i like um i'm a belonging person yeah so that's when after i'd done the board course the aicd five-day company directors course i realized hey i can get belonging because you live you you belong to a company sure you can be very very loyal to that company and give them everything you can give them yeah and you can have some diversity and flexibility mm. so the minute i got um started on one board it was tough because i didn't have a network so that was sheer going to courses pressing the flesh right Putting around, asking people. I started very small in a board career. So it's it's not been easy. Um, the first one was actually a not-for-profit, which is on the um, Arimba Campus Advisory Board. Uh -huh. And that was sort of lead the Central Coast Campus. 
uh, and I'm still quite involved in education on various fronts. Mm-hmm. Um, my second was with a um, company called AgriFood Skills, which I'm still with, and they are in based in Canberra and their training packages mm-hmm. and they are about um, bringing um, training and skills to um, non-skilled or underskilled people in regional areas okay so one of my bigger ha's at this time was that I needed to work out what brand I was like brand Margie yes and I realized that just like ending up in Spanish classes at uni but the best thing to do was actually to stick to uh, safe areas. I was never going to get it to be in the big end of town quickly if yeah. I wanted to aspire to that. Yeah. And I'd struggle to get on publicly listed companies because I wasn't an accountant. Yeah. I wasn't a lawyer and I um, hadn't been in a public company. Mm. And by the way, I was a woman. Mm. So there was a lot of crosses there to get into mm. that end of town. So my strategy became after having had lots of cups of tea with people, yeah. mainly women. Yeah. And I um, give women on boards a big plug here because mm-hmm. I was one of the inaugural um, women that joined women on boards. So right. They're just coming up for their 10 years. Okay. They were fabulous. Um, and they put me in touch with lots of people. So I ended up going down an education slash agricultural regional area yeah. bent. Yeah. And I also realised what I needed to do then was to get on as much diverse, as many diverse boards as I could mm-hmm. and to put my hand up for everything. Mm-hmm. So I'd be chair of the governance committee. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be deputy chair. I'd go on the audit and risk committee. If there was work to be done, I'd go, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And I did that as a strategy just to make sure that my learning and education came up very quickly. Mm. And then I have treated my board career like applying for any job so I would say every week, every Monday morning from nine till midday, I, for at least six years, would look at all the opportunities from boards that were available and apply for them. Right. That's uh, really interesting. So I'm keen to understand more about that. But before we do, so really what you did is you niched. You, you, you said, I'm going to build my personal brand as a specialist in education slash agri slash regional yes um rather than trying to be all things to all people uh by having that niche expertise you it it accelerated your ability to um to grow your portfolio career absolutely but it took me a while to get there oh sure because what i remember sitting in front of this lady and she was very impressive lady and she said to me everybody's got strategy on their cv Everybody's got governance on mm. their CV. Everyone's got change management mm. on their CV. So she said, all the things you've got on your CV, she said, I'm not trying to take it away from you, but everything you've got there is what everyone else has got. Right. So why would we want you when you're, you know, on the Central Coast and haven't got all, you know, any of this sure. public? And I remember walking away from that cup of tea thinking, oh, I might as well give up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But the insight was really valuable in terms sure. of brand yourself. Yeah. Work out where you can offer value because oh. boards are about adding value. Mm, absolutely. And I, I, I mean, it's when you think about it, that's just common sense. But I, you know, from my own experience of meeting many, many people who have finished their executive career, they're really keen to get into a portfolio career. They've done their AICD course. So they go, oh, okay, I'm qualified now. Come and get me, like 
come on boards, come and, and um, not realising that in many respects building a board career is almost like starting your career completely again, isn't it? Yes, and, it uh, is. And so I'm interested. So you've, you've taken that extremely proactive uh, approach of every Monday morning. So, I mean, you've got quite a number of board roles here I'm in, uh, in your current portfolio. Out of interest, how many of those came for from applying for a vacancy versus being in the uh, on the radar of the chair or somebody on the board and being invited to join? Interestingly, two of those were being tapped on the shoulder now. Yeah. And it's fair to say in the last two years, I've not actually had to apply for one. Yeah. And before that, though, including the publicly listed one, mm-hmm. which is fantastic mm-hmm. holdings, fantastic furniture. Yeah. That was advertised on the Women on Boards right. network. Okay. So it's only really since I've started to get a profile of on a publicly listed board um, or starting to get attention, like Mm -hmm. through LinkedIn or just getting a bit of a name, I guess. And the other thing that's changed it for dramatically for me, and this is just the stars aligning, Mm -hmm. is that supply chain used to be the... um, the end of the earth if you like Mm -hmm. like no one had any interest in supply chain Mm -hmm. now i get quite a few opportunities come my way because people understand that supply chain actually unlocks Mm -hmm. a whole value chain which a lot of organizations have ignored so it always used to be sales and marketing yeah now it's um there's a big push on supply chain yeah IT omni-channel, which mm-hmm. again, omni-channel is, you know, back into supply chain. I'm not familiar with that term. What is that? Omni-channel mean? is multi-channel. So you, if it's, as a consumer, you want, you don't care how you buy your goods. If you go online, yeah. you might do um, click and collect somewhere. You mm-hmm. might go into a, um, um, a, a 7-Eleven, you might go into a, um, a Costco. Yep. So the channels are multi. Right. And a lot of people don't even go into real estate anymore yeah so that's omni as i don't care i can i want to get this however i want to get it right so the supply chain to back that up is is really important yeah that's uh interesting i think that uh you mentioned earlier i'm not a lawyer i'm not an accountant uh it used to be that boards were you had your lawyer you had the accountant and then largely the balance of people on the board were people that the chair knew trusted correct uh, and felt that they would make a good contribution now it seems that particularly uh, listed boards of substance are doing a skills matrix analysis and they're saying we need a supply chain professional, yes. we need a social media professional, we need a, an HR professional, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And also, well, through the ASX guideline principles, that's one of the things that they actually mm. they, they, they ask you to do. The other thing that's coming of age is food. Mm-hmm. So food and beverage. Mm-hmm. So that that was also a, mo- a lot of them were multinationals who had their head offices offshore yeah. or had no need. But mm. I guess with the growth market in um, Asia, yeah. in particular, there's another whole sort of skill set which is um, you know export foreign you know um, understanding trade barriers how to actually get goods into market which again mm. some of that that's food and beverage knowledge and some of that supply chain absolutely i mean mm. you think uh 
with the growing populations, there is going to be less ability to grow, for example, China to feed it them, its population by growing food locally. They need to look um, internationally for uh, food, and so your supply chain and food background would be incredibly relevant, I imagine. Mm. Mm. But it's um, just back to your question around those that are, I've applied for and those that have been... Um, yeah, I think, I think there's probably two or three handfuls of people who may get really lucky and they're probably the big names in town mm-hmm. that get all the offers for the jobs. Yeah. And some people are generous and share and say, hey, I know someone. Mm-hmm. And I guess I've bumped into quite a few who are not. Mm. So it's mm. a, it is quite a competitive field yeah uh, but it is also about all it is all about your skill sets yeah like boards need skill sets yeah and if you can't add value then they can't take you on board mm. and I think the the interesting thing about it is that a portfolio career professional can have multiple board roles so it's not like they're being headhunted from one full-time role to take on another full-time role so they're being approached have you got space on your dance card Margie for another board role uh, it does mean it's much more competitive because people can hold, you know, a multifaceted portfolio at any one time. And so, uh, looking at your CV, it, it seems essentially you've got seven different roles within your portfolio. How do you manage uh, your life um, to be able to give the right amount of attention to each of those and still, you know? Uh, be a mum and, and be a wife and all that kind of stuff? Uh, sometimes with great difficulty. Uh, the thing about my portfolio is that you've got to get a balance between monthly boards mm-hmm. and sort of a bi-monthly or quarterly. And you need to make sure, well, I do, that um, different workloads within the different boards need to understand how much time they're going to take. Mm-hmm. And in particular, if you're chair even whether it be chair of a remuneration committee or chair of a board, you have to have flexibility for when it goes dreadfully wrong. Yes. You can't have that. You don't have the luxury of when there's something gone wrong or a crisis that you can't just drop stuff. Yeah. So the way I'm, I'm very, very well organized. Okay. And I make sure in my yearly planner, mm-hmm. so I plan the year pretty clearly about when the board meetings are Mm -hmm. I make sure that I have the days like I will have a fantastic day or five fantastic days um you or I'll have a southern day and I and I'm pretty when I open my book I know exactly what I have to Mm -hmm. achieve in that day now Mm. obviously you have overlap but the most important thing I've learned is you have to be really focused on that board and give that board mm. its time. Mm. Um, and there's no, there are common issues, but there's not common issues. So mm-hmm. you've really got to understand and give the boards time. Mm-hmm. And so looking to the future now, uh, uh, you've well and truly built a good portfolio, but obviously I imagine you're aspiring to um, have different kinds of responsibilities in the future. If you look, you know, five to ten years um, from now, what would you like your professional life to look like then? Yeah, I've got one publicly listed company. Mm-hmm. Um, I was told by someone um, pretty significant about 
four or five years ago that I'd probably never get one if I did the numbers and the odds about a public listed company. Right. So that's probably um, inspired me that I would like to have two, possibly three. Okay. Not, not necessarily publicly listed. I'm not hung up on publicly listed. I think what are my criteria is um, well-respected um, and value sort of um, value in the supply chain so mm-hmm. where you can actually see the contribution mm-hmm. uh, and that's going to be balanced with um, it's not doesn't come through in my portfolio but I spend a lot of time uh, mentoring and helping people and I, it's, it's time I have some views I've got uh, one one of my children has some mental health challenges okay. and there's a time there's times I do a lot but I would like to get into one or two of the big not for profits, mm-hmm. but I, you, I don't, I don't give myself a hard time about that because you've got to do what you've got to do. I'm still sure. the 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 breadwinner, and so I, so my portfolio will be um, some significant boards that I love being part of mm-hmm. uh, because I love, I just love the businesses, and some and get some more not for profit in there, and I need a lot more time for a bit of fun. So, okay, yeah. So what would that be? Uh, I do a lot of walking, so okay. I do um, significant walks. I mm-hmm. trek the Lara Pinta this year. I've okay. got the Flinders Island. I've done um, been good Kiwi. I've done the Hefe, the Milford. Right. So I've got I've got a sort of a list of about twenty odd walks that okay. are, are featuring. Is that something you do with your husband? No, 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 no. He's an artist, so he doesn't. He, that's not not his thing. I've got a group of women friends, and oh, we we uh, cycled across the South Island of New Zealand. So, right. Yeah. No. It's a it's a it's a it's a woman thing where we just uh, right. laugh and have have a good time. <laughs> and my husband can look after the kids. He has his time. Oh, really? He goes on painting, um, plein air painting journeys and things. And we have oh, right. we have family holidays and things together. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's it's good to have a um, a break. And uh, I'm a hopeless tennis player, but I love that. Okay. And I'm a passionate book reader. And this year I went to the Jaipur Writers Festival, which was something that I'd always wanted to do. So I've got a list of writers festivals around right. the world which that I have intend to um, embark upon. Okay. So a board career allows you the flexibility sure. to suddenly go, I'm going to go to... Um, Jaipur to the Writers Festival for right. a week, or I'm going to go to the Bali Writers Festival. Right. Or... Are you an aspiring author? No. Okay. Not at all. Right. I just, I just like reading and um, diving. I think it's probably a good way to escape. From, yeah. From 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 reality when you right. dive into someone else's stories. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I uh, uh, published my own book earlier this year, and uh, it is quite a commitment to uh, to getting a book from. Uh, idea through to uh, holding something physically in your hand that's for sure mm. my best friend just got actually told me yesterday her, her novel first novels about to be published wow. so that's pretty fantastic oh, good stuff. Mm. and uh, you mentioned earlier that there were some books that really assisted you in your career what you know if you were to um, recommend one or two what what were some of the uh, the books that you found most uh, enlightening the, the one that I loved which was the one I talked about the mask and um, is uh, you know which is around um, the good to great one, okay. which is um, the Jim Collins, yeah. which is encouraging the heart. Okay. So there's uh, that one. The other one is uh, I love the Ram Sharan books. Mm-hmm. So he's got one on execution, mm-hmm. which is about getting things done. Yeah. And also he's got a fabulous board book uh, at the moment called Boards That Lead. Right. And I think there's another one on boarding, so they're very good. Okay. And then there's another one which is. Um, 
first break all the rules. Okay. Which is around um, not accepting disruption. What, yeah. Right. Yeah. And 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 if I was giving a tip to people, I would say it's an old book, but it's the Michael Watkins book, which is the first ninety days. Right. It's really easy. Yeah. But the number of times I've mentored people when they've started a mm. job and said, "Get your ninety day plan. Mm-hmm. Have a look at this book." Mm. Just, just have a quick read. Sure. Get your ninety day plan. Get your yeah. hundred and eighty day plan, and that's one that I still usually have spare copies and okay. give to people. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. So uh, to sort of round out our discussion today, because uh, we're towards the pointy end of uh, mm-hmm. an hour, to the audience who are listening, and in particular um, uh, women who potentially are aspiring to have uh, the type of career that you've had and, and are enjoying now. What are, what are some of the core pieces of advice that you'd offer? Number one is back yourself, back yourself and back yourself mm-hmm. because women often say, say, no, you go or no, it's all right. or uh, So women often don't back themselves and they let other people take those opportunities even though they're probably deserving of them. Mm-hmm. So that's the first one. Um and back yourself means believing in yourself. And to believe in yourself, you usually need confidence. So to get your confidence, uh, from my point of view, it was around um, learning in safe environments or being supportive in safe environments. And my examples were starting with smaller boards and mm-hmm. just offering to do things. So if you so if you, you have to be able, you have, I mean, to, to back yourself, you have to be able to do it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back yourself, believe, mm-hmm. educate, lifelong journey, and have some fun. Mm-hmm. Have some fun. Make yep. sure you have fun. And, and what about this uh, idea that you touched on earlier about this perception that to be successful in business as a woman, you need to almost uh, uh, act in a masculine way? And you said that you came to a realisation that that wasn't the right thing for you to do. What you, If you had to you know distill that into some advice what would you say the advice is let your real self step forward however i would frame that by the facts are your friends often women get very emotional about things and put emotion before the fact Mm -hmm. and if you factually can frame up your argument and um, position it that way, you, you, you're going to be on stronger ground. Mm-hmm. And um, be professional at all times. And, and that's, you know, that's what we do, but integrity and professionalism and not be um, overcome by, at times I think it's, um, it's male and female, but by people's um, arrogance or their their dominance but that they are the natural leader when mm. when they're they're often not they often have a don't bring the all the balanced competencies to the boardroom or to the to the leadership role that they mm-hmm. need to be mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. great advice before we uh conclude the conversation is there anything that you'd like to add or anything that we haven't covered that you think is important to uh uh, for you to um, use this opportunity to say to the people who are listening in? I'd just say life is short and go for it. Mm-hmm. 
that you actually learn more from your mistakes and from your failures than you do from the successes. And if you don't have a go, then you're not going to realise what you've got to learn or what you've got to overcome. Mm. And you can always laugh at yourself when, when something goes wrong, but if you haven't had a go, you'll you'll be wondering and doubting. Mm-hmm. Well, Margie, I know you've got a very busy afternoon, and so I really appreciate the time. I'm sure people listening in uh, will have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. So thanks again, and uh, I look forward to catching up again in the future. Thanks, Richard. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you very much for inviting me. Great. Bye-bye. Bye. It's been wonderful to have another highly successful female executive on the Arate podcast. And I thought Margie has uh, been able to give a great example of somebody who started a completely unrelated university qualification being teaching. However, more by circumstance rather than design, has seen his career grow to great successes, both in an executive role and now in a non-executive capacity. And I really uh, like the fact that Margie is now taking the time to give back, uh, particularly to the female uh, community of business people through organisations like Chief Executive Women, mentoring those that uh, would like to emulate her success. So thanks for your attention and uh, I look forward to speaking with you again uh, through the Arate podcast over coming weeks. And in the meantime, have a fantastic day.